This is DT Fay, a podcast for people who like their coffee icy and their books spicy. Hosted by L and Kate. Welcome to the fourth episode of our Crescent City Recap. If you've made it this far, your therapy bill should be covered by Sarah J. Mass. <laughs> As always, we're going to start with a recommendation. So this week, I'm going to recommend the Fever series by Karen Moaning. I love that one. I discovered this series after re- reading Karen's Highlander series. And yes, those boys are in this too. It's it's such a fun, there's so much depth in this series. So it starts in present day Georgia, where a young girl, Mac, is enjoying her carefree summer. And then her family gets the news that her sister was murdered while studying abroad in Dublin. To make matters worse, the police in Dublin don't seem to be doing much. So Mac, I think she's like 21 takes it upon herself to go overseas and see what's going on. She gets there and basically stumbles into a world of fae as well as other supernatural beings. I love the, isn't there like, um, sealy and unsealy? Yeah. They go into, they go in deep into the different courts of the fae. You know what we meant to do was reread that before we went to Ireland. I know. I don't know how I missed that. We went and stayed in Dublin we wanted to see all the hot spots she referenced in the book. Yeah, I forgot. But speaking of murdered and dead sisters, I'm going to go with Kingdom of the Wicked. It's a trilogy, and I'll admit that in the beginning, it's not the easiest read, but it is absolutely worth it. After the body of Amelia's twin sister is found, she sets out to find the murderer at any cost, even if it means using her forbidden dark magic, which is... She meets Wrath, a prince of hell, trying to figure out who has been murdering women on the island. I found the main character annoying at first. Her whole personality is cooking. Like, I think she talks about it more than her dead sister. But by the end of the first book, I was really hooked. And books two and three were so much fun. We meet the other princes of hell and learn about their personalities and their territory. So it's little like Akatar in the courts in that way. But also Lords of the Underworld or Black Dagger Brotherhood with a bunch of characters who will hopefully all get their own stories. The first spinoff is about Envy. It's called Throne of the Fallen, and it was recently released. Another good read. I love those books as well. So this week, we're jumping back into Crescent City in Chapter 31, when Hunt and Bryce have exited the elevator right as Micah and Sandriel walk through the front door. And as a reminder, there's a lot of people that are now gathering in town for the summit, and that will include the other Archangel and her Triari. So everyone is kneeling except for Hunt, who's in an absolute spiral, and Bryce doesn't know what the fuck to do, so she leans into her vapid party girl persona and starts taking pictures on her new phone. She also plays off the run-in, telling Hunt thanks for bringing her to see them, and she loops her arm through his, guiding him towards the elevator. Unfortunately, Micah gets there before the elevator does, and he starts demanding answers. Isaiah, who I think is a very good friend, He steps in and says Hunt had been cleared to bring Bryce while he was picking up his belongings because he is moving in with Bryce. Micah checks Bryce out, but she's, quote, not interested in his invitation to have dinner. And this is probably the first time Micah has ever heard those words. Bryce and Hunt take the elevator to a floor with a landing where Hunt can fly from to avoid any more run-ins. But Hunt's going to have to carry her. He's concerned about two things, Micah being a little bitch and punishing him for Bryce's rejection, which, spoiler alert, he does, and her now being on Sandriel's radar. But at least Sandriel's psycho second, Pollux, wasn't there. Bryce is terrified of the flight and clings to Hunt as he flies over the city. He asks if she meant what she said to Micah, and she did. Go for her. (laughs) Hunt tries again to get Bryce to go with him to the Oracle, and it's a hard pass. 
He shocks Bryce by asking if he can watch the Sunball game that night, which doesn't fit in with the whole broody shadow of death thing. But before Hunt gets to spend just one night as a regular guy, Micah calls with that punishment that he's been dreading, a.k.a. killing somebody. But at least he doesn't rescind their deal. No take backsies. The reader gets a glimpse of a cougar shifter begging Hunt for mercy before Hunt returns to the barracks for his shame spiral shower. When Hunt returns to the apartment, Bryce can tell something has happened and lets him know she recorded the game for him. It's very sweet. Hunt visits the Oracle, a very rare and beautiful sphinx. So old, Hunt wonders if she's forgotten her own name. He asks why someone wants Luna's horn, and she says to open a doorway between worlds, which this supports our mass verse theories. She tells Hunt the horn can be repaired, but she can't see how or who or anything useful. The Oracle calls Hunt by his birth name, Orion, which no one has called him in the 200 years since Shahar killed his mother. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Uh, even though he says no, he doesn't want to know his future. And no, he doesn't want to know what happened between the Oracle and Bryce. The nosy bitch ignores him. She tells him he reminds her of, quote, that which was lost long ago. She hadn't realized might ever appear again. The Oracle also calls Hunt the Lord of Lightning during this interaction. And Lord of Lightning could be referring to a few things. There's Zeus in Greek mythology, there's Jupiter in Roman, and there's Thor in Nurse. <laughs> the Oracle also calls Hunt the Lord of Lightning during this interaction. Lord of Lightning could be referring to a few things. There's Zeus in Greek mythology, Jupiter in Roman, and Thor in Norse. Shout out to Xena for everything I know about mythology, by the way. And if there's anybody who wants to go to the Salute to Xena convention, which is a real thing, if you want to go with me next year, email me. <laughs> but let's focus on Thor. He is a hammer-wielding god associated with lightning, thunder, storms, strength, and the protection of humankind. So we're going to keep a lookout for any potential Thor references. And because Sarah was raised by a Catholic mother and Jewish father, I googled Hebrew god of lightning and two names kept popping up, and that's Yahweh and Baal. You can actually see the influence, her upbringing, and minor in religious studies in all of her books. The Book of Breathings is written in the Holy Tongue, or Hebrew. People painted their thresholds in lamb's blood for Amran, who recalls once destroying twin cities, and there's the whole parting of the seas when the seraphim fled. It's all very Old Testament. There's also the crown of thorns that Hunt has tattooed across his brow. So could this all be a clue about who Hunt's father is? As far as we know, she ha she hasn't said who is anything about his father, right? We only know about his mother. No, we don't know. Yeah, and so is Hunt going to be the Jesus of this story? Is he going to have to sacrifice himself or be sacrificed? Oh gosh, yeah, I hope not. The Oracle is, for the most part, vague, except when it comes to Bryce, who she wants Hunt to stay away from. Is this a genuine warning, or is she a resentful bitch? Bitch, probably. Hunt tells Bryce and Rune what the Oracle said, and they conclude the murderer's motivation is repairing the horn to open the rift. One theory they have is the human rebels, either Ophion or just the Kerry sect, want to align themselves with the demon princes and overthrow the Asteri. Bryce is Delulu and concludes Danica must have known and that's why she was killed. I love that she always thinks the best of her friend, but girl, come on. <laughs> Let's think that through. Rune theorizes that if the horn were sentient, like his research suggests, a healing power like that of a witch might fix it. He says he'll discreetly visit some meta-witches. <laughs> some med-witches? <laughs> I think it's medi-witches. Is it? Oh, well, that's fine. It's med-witches. Med-witches. Med he says he'll discreetly visit some med-witches. 
Back in the library, Hunt won't stop staring at Bryce and finally ask why the fuck the Oracle would warn him to stay away from her. <laughs> she LOLs and we finally get the backstory on what happened during her visit to the Oracle. When she was 13, Ember, her mom, contacted Bryce's bio dad after freaking out she cut Bryce off from her face side. Two weeks later, Bryce was declared full civitas on the condition she claimed sky and breath is her house, which her mom pushed her to do so. It's again, very Roman. Yeah, civitas. Her first visit to the city, she met Rune and the Autumn King. Oh, and her father, she adds. <laughs> I started to question Hunt's detective skills for not figuring this one out sooner. The first few days weren't bad. She was called half-breed, which whatever, because at least her father wanted her there. That is, until the Oracle visit. When the Oracle looked into Bryce's future, she screamed and clawed at her eyes. If this is your first time reading the book, we obviously know what it's hinting at, but if it's your first time reading it, let us know what you think it means. Um, the email is dtfapodcast at gmail.com. The Autumn King calls her a worthless disgrace after the Oracle visit and leaves her bags on the curb. Dick. Hunt changes the subject because he's a perceptive king. He shows Bryce he shows Bryce an ancient vase nearly 15,000 years old that shows the Cristallos demon being killed the old-fashioned way, no special magic needed. Rather than be relieved, Bryce insists that can't be the case because if it were, how did it kill Danica and the pack of devils and almost eat Micah? Yet again, reading Bryce's emotions, Hunt doesn't push or pry when she says it's probably a bullshit rendering. Interestingly, the vase is from Parthos, a quote, human fairy tale, according to Hunt, who asked Bryce if she really believes in the ancient library and a prehistoric human civilization. Looking into Parthos, Googling it, led me to a Wikipedia page for Parthus, and it is a settlement of the Illyrian tribe in modern-day Albania. Interesting. I don't know if that's anything. <laughs> uh, does Sarah know? I don't know. <laughs> is this how this all links together? Hunt completely dismisses it. I don't understand why it's so hard to believe humans had a library, had civilizations before the really smart and fancy Asterian Fae arrived. Hunt gets a call that they can meet with Philip Briggs, the human rebel who went down for Danica and the pack's murderers with, like, no evidence. He asks Bryce if she's ready for this, and after she lashes out, waits for her outside. Lahaba says it's not Athy's fault and expresses her concern for Bryce, you know, like a good friend. Hunt's nice. Rune is nice. But you know who wasn't nice to Lily? Danica. People don't forget. <laughs> Briggs has been moved to the basement of the Comitium, about five blocks from where Bryce had been taken the night of the murders. But unlike that place, which already had pretty loose protocols, if you ask me, laws don't matter in a place like this. Briggs looks gaunt and hollow despite his lack of visible wounds or bruises. He asks for the date and we learn it's April 12th, 15,035. Could that be like an Easter or Passover reference or am I reaching? That's April, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. This also made me think about Amarin. She is more than 15,000 years old. So the Asteri entered via the rift around the same time Amran entered Prithian. So are Crescent City and Akatar happening at the same time in overlapping worlds? Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's great. Yeah. They question Briggs and he's like, do you think I orchestrated a bombing when I don't even know what year it is? Briggs surprises Bryce when he tells her he actually liked Danica. Did Bryce even know Danica? Briggs goes on to say Danica was fair and he thought she might have been a rebel sympathizer. Bryce is like, no, -uh. <laughs> you have to wonder when she's going to admit she didn't know Danica as well as she thought she did. I mean, also, what's wrong with being a rebel sympathizer? I thought yeah. they all hated the slavery and the treatment of humans. Yeah. Hunt asks Briggs why he didn't mention any of this at his trial. You 
beautiful idiot. Like there are <laughs> fair trials for humans. Briggs might not have bombed the White Raven, but is proud the rebels did. Hunt wonders if he was this out of touch with reality when he followed Shahar. Finally. As they're leaving, Briggs tells Hunt he respects what he and the 18th did during the rebellion. Oof. Yikes. It just gets worse. With Briggs off their list of suspects, Bryce and Hunt return to the penthouse to watch the Sunball game, but she can tell something is wrong with him. She grabs her phone and snaps a pic of the shadow of death sitting there in his comfy clothes and backwards hat. I like a guy in a backwards hat. What is that? I do too. I don't know. It's very soxy. Yeah. Hunt admits Briggs brought up some old feelings about Shahar and the rebellion. I really wish we could stop talking about Shahar. (laughs) But Bryce assures him he is nothing like Briggs. Hunt opens up that he was in the Asteri dungeons for seven years after the rebellion before he went to his first, quote, handler, who eventually realized he'd be more useful hunting demons. So Hunt didn't see sunlight, didn't fly for nine years, and it was only hatred and rage that kept him going. Bryce takes his hand. And I can't tell you how many times I was internally screaming. If there's one thing Sarah's good at, it's edging. (laughs) Bryce reassures Hunt he's not like Briggs several times. He isn't a bad person. He never will be. End of story. While looking back over Danica's last locations, their thighs touch. <laughs> Stop. I know. But also Hunt remembers the temple has exterior cameras. And although the 33rd checked them, maybe they missed something. I mean, they now know that Danica was at the temple that night. So why didn't anyone else mention it? Bryce wonders if Danica knew and hid who took the horn. But is like, nah, if anyone knew Danica, it was me. Sure, Jan. Good thing they know a hacker. Hunt and Bryce go to a shooting range to meet Rune, Declan, and Flynn. Poor Hunt and Bryce both envy the closeness of the friend group. The former doesn't seem to have ever had friends, and the latter only has Juniper and Fury now, so basically no one. Sarah is really good at placing importance, not just on romantic relationships, but on those friendships. I love the whole found family trope. She's really good at it. It She really does a good job of building that closeness closeness over different experiences. Flynn cozies up to Bryce, and Hunt doesn't like it. You love to see it. Bryce asked Declan to analyze footage from the temple the night the horn was stolen, and he says he has some software that might help. It's funny how Declan has like, they're like, we have this problem. He's like, oh, I have the software. But we never, we don't <laughs> really actually learn. Yeah. <laughs> she also tells them to keep this a secret, especially from the Autumn King. Flynn bets Bryce they can outshoot her, and she's like, that's dumb. I'm in, which does things to hunt. Mm-mm. She fires off three shots, and Flynn thinks she's only landed one, but actually she hit the same spot three times. Did everyone forget who her stepdad is? Rather than be intimidated or threatened, Hunt's like, bet, and shoots a bullet straight (laughs) through the same hole. There's a lot of hole talk. (laughs) (laughs) They have a moment, seeing and accepting each other, but then Isaiah calls with a total buzzkill. A human has been murdered in Asphodel Meadows. Everyone prepares to go to the crime scene, but unlike the first time, Hunt gives Bryce the option to opt out. He can look for both of them. He's growing. He takes her hands and breathes with her until she calms down, and she lets him, lets him see the part of herself she hides from everyone, even her parents. He also brushes back a lock of her hair, and it reminded me of Zombieland. Um, What's that actor's name? Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah. And he's like, someone's someone's ear is in danger of getting hair brushed behind it. The body, or what was left of it, was found in an alley near the north gate in the shitty human part of the city. The time of death was about 30 minutes ago, and from the clothes, it looks like a guard from the temple on on his way home. Another murder connected to the horn, possibly. Cameras didn't catch anything, almost like the murderer knew exactly where all of them were. Suspicious. Bryce has an epiphany. 
all the murders took place within steps of the city's ley lines. So whoever is summoning the demon could be drawing on that power. Hunt asks for a search of the cameras along the ley lines in the first light grid to look for blips of power. While Hunt is talking, Declan and Flynn warn Bryce he's bad news, thinking they're about to shock her with the fact that he does the governor's dirty work. Like he has a choice. In, he's a slave. Come he's on. literally a slave. Declan has his doubts that 33rd will follow through this time, and Hunt actually agrees with him. As they're leaving, Bryce waves goodbye to Rune, who is busy talking to a beautiful, dark-haired medwitch, and Flynn blows Bryce a kiss. Hunt totally casually asks Bryce if she and Flynn ever hooked up. She jokingly asks if he wants to talk about all the people he's hooked up with, but shocker, he says Shahar ruined him for anyone else. There Bryce, she is again. <laughs> Bryce definitely didn't ask about Shahar, but yeah, let's talk about that some more. Hunt talks about falling in love with her, her vision for the world, her ideas. He asks about Flynn again, like anything she says could compare to that tragic love story. And she talks about the crush she had on Flynn and writing Lady Bryce Flynn on her school notebooks. I don't know about you, but my trapper keeper was filled with shit like that. That and MASH. And I know (laughs) that a lot of people, yeah, I know a lot of people disliked and they're annoyed by Bryce, but she's a very relatable character, not just because of the trauma and the fucked up relationships like some of the other SJM main characters, but just little moments like this. She leaves out that she once saw Flynn out at a bar in college, but Danica went home with him because Bryce didn't want to mess up anything with Rune. My first thought was like, was no one going home with him an option? Like, why did someone have to go home with him? It's because Danica's a really good friend. Bryce then shares her worst and only hookup from the House of Flame and Shadow, a vampire. Vamps have worked hard to get people to forget they're actually from hell, but defected during the first wars, by the way. She was out when he suggested eating while eating. Yikes. By the way, if you're into stories where vampire bites feel good, we have a few recommendations. Um, Court of the Vampire Queen, The Serpent and the Wings of Night, which we're definitely going to cover on this podcast. And I'm pretty sure from Blood and Ash, too. Is that a spoiler saying that? Um, well, I won't say I don't who. think you initially know they're vampires, but. Yeah. It's okay. It's, worth, it's totally I mean, worth the read. It's very sexy. Okay. <laughs> but also, I would recommend Demon Days Vampire Nights again. Yes. I mentioned this book recently, but I was rereading it. And basically, you orgasm from one bite if you're part human. That's so. kind of like, serp- wait, have you read Serpent Wings of Night? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's like that, too. Or sexy. Yeah. Bryce asks if he still has a thing for Shahar. And girl, have you not been paying attention? Her stomach drops when he says he will love Shahar until the day he dies. But starts to add that isn't to say he is not before spotting Sabine. He's not. What? Sabine wants to know where the sword is. And as Hunt leads Bryce away, Sabine calls her a stupid slut. Is that the only insult she knows? <sighs> She's. God, I hate <laughs> Sabine. <laughs> what a slut. <laughs> Hunt is pissed, but Bryce begs him to let it go. So he scoops her up and they fly to her roof. She's brushing her. <laughs> Brush. <laughs> She's brushing her teeth when Declan calls. So she knocks on Hunt's door and he opens it shirtless with muscles upon muscles, but she remembers he's still pining for a dead bitch. (laughs) Declan tells them that based on the audio, he thinks someone swapped the footage of the temple during the time of the horn's theft. He looked up who was the head of the investigation of the video footage, the only one who could have made the swap, and it's... Sabine fucking Fendir. And that's the end of part two. (laughs) We'll pick up next week in part three, The Canyon, with chapters 38 to 49. As always, send us your theories, corrections, and general feedback to DTFA Podcast at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>